All right, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. We're working on a topic, ancient solutions to modern problems is what we're, we're looking through. What does the Bible say about this problem? What does the Bible say about that problem? And last week, we gave you guys the opportunity to say, what issue do we want to deal with? What problem do we want to focus on? What problem do we want to um, explore? And we got quite a few cards back, which is going to send us a direction, uh, which we thank you so much for those. And if, also, if you want to do it again, there's more cards back there if you want to bring up uh, topics. Um, sexual addiction, um, loss of family, divorce, uh, separation, um, biblical um, versus um, cultural gentleness, um, and then we have complacency, um, public school or homeschool, <laughs> great questions. I do want to say that a lot of the questions even migrated towards school, um, and you will see that um, some of these are black and white answers. You're not going to get a black and white answer. I mean, like that, that one, I'm going to say both are, um, you know, I might even say this, because this might even be radical when we start talking about school. But both are okay. I'm going to put that out and like, well, what do you mean both are okay? That's no, 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 no. Well, you're going to have to come and listen to, to that because we're going to focus on answering every single question that has gone down. So we will talk about all these that have, um, that have come up. And even when it comes to the school, because there's a lot of things that are happening in the school, uh, my wife is a principal at a public school. So she can actually come up here and, and talk because she gets questions from Christians, which is just phenomenal. In fact, we encourage everybody to ask this question, what is my kid going to be taught in school? Well, if she comes up here and sits in front of all of you guys, you can ask her, what's our kids going to be taught in school? What's going on in the public school? What's taking place in the public school? Um, and those things. So a lot of questions went towards the public school, and um, I, I praise God for that, just in regards that, um, that we are connected with, or I'm even really connected with, somebody that is in the middle of the public uh, school system. But then again, um, you know, when asking a question like that, you know, we're not going to go, this is what you should do. <laughs> because if I say, this is what you should do, um, then I'm responsible for it. <laughs> if I say, you need to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you need to love others with yourself, I'm not responsible for it. <laughs> because the, the Bible says it. So, but there's some questions out there that I would be responsible for if I answered them. So you'll notice that I won't answer them. I'll say, use wisdom, you know, in, in, in those regards. Um, so, but lots of questions. I appreciate these questions. And I will make a commitment that we will answer every single question um, that is even put on the card, even if we have, you know, a little, um, um, or it, going through the topics, even if we have, um, um, even if it's just a little section uh, that we'll answer. So I wanted to get these compiled, and then I want to get, you know, the agenda um, that's going to take place until um, the middle of June. And so I'm going to go on another emotion um, that is controlling us, um, that are not controlling us, that we are very um, in the middle of right now. And uh, the emotion is the problem of, of fear. And uh, we are in a country where, you know, people are afraid. And, uh, and we want to understand what the Bible says about it. We want to understand if there's a solution behind it. If the Bible speaks into fear, if the Bible does not speak into fear, you know, we want to know uh, what the, exactly the ancient solution of fear, because if there is no ancient solution, you do not believe the Bible is true, then there is no solution. <laughs> That's why we want to open up the Bible and talk specifically about fear. So we've broken this one up into, into three different areas. It would be the problem of fear. We want to see what the problem is, first of all, and then the solution to fear there is a solution. The Bible gives us a specific solution to fear, and we're going to talk about that solution, and then how the solution works. So we'll work through the dynamics of how the solution to fear um, works. So what is the problem of fear? Uh, number one, fear controls. The thing about fear is that fear is a flashing red light that says, follow me. And as soon as you are afraid of something, what takes place is you start to live in regards to your fears. <laughs> Whatever your fear is, you start to live in regards, in regards to it. Talked even a lot about last week in my sermon about we are afraid to open ourselves up to our mate. And the reason why we're afraid to open up ourselves to our mate is because if we do, we're handing them power to destroy us, power to ruin us, power to throw something back into our face. So what happens is we have sins that we want to just shove down as individuals and we don't want anybody to know about and we, want, we put walls in between our relationships because we're trying to protect ourselves. What happens is you're being completely entirely controlled 
uh, by fear. It has the power to control because you're always going to respond to the red light, and the red light is, is fear. That's what the red light is, and you will be completely and entirely controlled in it. Number two, fear rules. We are mastered by our fear. It is what makes, drives our decisions. It's what drives our mind. It is what drives our actions. It is what carries our emotions into different areas. And then number three, fear consumes. So therefore, fear carries a massive impact. I went uh, rafting down the Illinois, and the Illinois River is a wild and crazy river. And uh, there's one spot that is the most wild and crazy spot. It's called um, the Green Wall. And uh, the Green Wall is, um, uh, there's a, a class three plus at the top, which is pretty difficult, you know, just waves and those things. But then it turns a corner, and at the first of the corner, there's a huge drop at the top, and then it goes through this 100-yard gauntlet of just chaotic water, and the majority of the water is just blowing off the wall. It's just a consistent wall that takes place. So if you read the book, and you say, uh, the book will say, watch out rafters, you know, in other words, hazard, hazard, hazard. You go from a class three plus into an automatic class five, and you don't want to make mistakes, because if you make mistakes, you'll end up in the wall, and if you end up in the wall, your raft will turn, and uh, it's just going to get ugly, ugly, ugly. So I rafting with these guys, and we always scout this rapid in particular, and uh, so we get out, and we look at it, and then after we look at it, some of us are here with throw ropes in case if somebody gets in trouble, we can get a throw rope to them because swimming a 100-yard gauntlet of complete whitewater is still even deadly and, and dangerous, even with a life jacket on. And uh, so what we did is we looked at it, we scouted it, and one in particular guy took his life jacket off and he scouted it with us. Now when you look at the rapid, you go, oh boy, the adrenaline is just pumping. It's like, oh, this is going to be good, this is going to be good. And then we started saying, okay, your turn, okay, your turn, your turn. And uh, we had one person said, okay, your turn. It was the person that took the life jacket off to scout it. He was so consumed with fear as he was scouting it that he forgot to put his life jacket on. And he has flipped three times specifically on this rapid. And he gets on the boat without his life jacket on, and he starts the rapid, and we all see him. And as soon as we all see him, everything goes to our mind. Three times he has flipped. If he flips, he dies, and he's going to die right in front of our face. So we're like, ah, we started shouting life jacket, but then we, we can't shout life jacket because he's, he's going down it. And he ran the entire thing. He did not flip, and he didn't realize he had, did not have his life jacket on until he was completely entirely done. Fear completely consumes. <laughs> it just, it completely wipes out your mind and makes you focus on what you are afraid of. It grabs a hold of you, consumes, and you make choices that you wouldn't make otherwise if you were not um, afraid. So just ask you a question. To bring it into a modern problem is if fear controls, fear rules, and fear consumes, what logical media would not want to sell this <laughs> if they're out to make a buck? I'm not trying to get into politics, but I'm just saying that. It's if you want a buck, what are you going to put into somebody? If you want control of your kids, what are you going to try to put into somebody? If you want somebody to always think about you and be consumed with this or that from you, what are you going to put into people? If you live in a country and you're in charge and even a pandemic takes place, and somehow we got to get through it, what would is the automatic control that would go through? And I'm not getting all the nuances, and you know, I'm just making, I'm making statements, because fear is an issue, and the reason why fear is an issue is because it carries so much power. It carries control. It rules people. It consumes people. And it will take people and send them a direction that you would never guess they would go the direction. And all single, every single one of us are making reactions and decisions in regards to what we fear. In fact, we're made up exactly by what we fear. So now that we're all depressed thinking we're completely made up by what we fear, is there any sort of solution in the Bible that gives us an answer to say, what do I do with it? And the answer is, 
is there's only one solution to fear. There's not two. <laughs> there's not three. There's not ten. There's not a whole bunch of different solutions to fear. There's one solution to fear, just one, that the Bible gives over and over and over and over again. And I will tell you that 365 times the Bible says, fear not, and then you hear the solution very consistently as we go through Scripture. What is the solution to fear? Three words. Number four, fear the Lord. (laughs) That's it. You're not going to stop being able to be afraid. You're not going to stop being able to be afraid. What God is saying, I want you to redirect your fear, my direction. I want you to redirect your fear, my direction, rather than this direction. And because this direction is going to do what? Control, rule, and consume you. But if you fear the Lord, what's going to take place? God is going to control, rule, and consume you. See what he's doing? He's just, he's just splitting it right down the divide, just like he split the Red Sea. Splitting it right down the divide, saying, you're going to be afraid. Every single one of us are specifically afraid. Therefore, I say fear not, but right behind my words of fear not is fear the Lord. We definitely, oh, Proverbs 14, 27 says this, and this is just one of many, many passages. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Well, what is the snares of death? Sin, as a consequence, is death, and we live in a world that there's going to be death. And as a result of living in the world, it's going to be death. The world looks chaotic. The world looks crazy. The world looks evil. The world looks ugly. And if we fear it, it will control us, it will rule us, and it will consume us. In this passage, it says the fountain of life is this, fearing the Lord. So we want to know what fear the Lord means. Number five, we're going to go a little faster, just in a sense that, I'm sorry, I won't talk faster. We'll just you know, get through it faster. Just in a sense, we want to know what it is. What does the fear of the Lord mean? Number five, there are three fears in the Bible. The fear of terror, the fear of respect, and the fear of awe. The fear of the Lord is a combination of all three. There's three fears in the Bible. The fear of terror, the fear of respect, and the fear of awe. The fear of the Lord is a combination um, of all three. So we do want to break these down and see what the Bible says in regards to fear so we can understand what fear of the Lord means. Letter A, the fear of terror. Let's look at a judge. You know, uh, when you stand up in front of a judge, there is terror that takes place. And what I mean, and the reason why there is terror that takes place is because he holds the future in his hands. You know, whether you're innocent or whether you're not innocent, he still holds um, a lot of the future in his hands. So even if you're innocent, he can say, oh, you're not innocent and, and send you away. You stand up in front of a judge, it's like, okay, this is a little terrifying. He holds your life in your hands. In a sense, he owns you if he proves you guilty. And as your sense of looking at this judge, um, you want him to have a good opinion of you. Period. You want him to have a good opinion of you. God is saying, here's the judge. It's not here. It's me. I'm the judge. Have that terror specifically for me, which is an amazing gift. Because think of this gift. Here we have God that is completely merciful, who is our judge, who died and rose again. And he says, I want you to have a fear, a terror of me, because I am your judge. And everything that's going to take place is going to be completely right and correct under justice. It will happen completely and entirely under justice. And then we get the backside of justice in regards to that cross, that even if justice is supposed to land on me, he transferred it to his shoulders. But I'll tell you that when we look at God and we have this fear of terror, it is looking at him as a judge. And when you look at God as a judge and for what you deserve, and then you look at the cross for what was paid so you can be saved, all of a sudden that comes alive. But we should still have that fear that I can't believe, God, what you have done for me, and I can't believe, God, what you could do to me if you wanted to. Just a stand back, a fear of terror. Deuteronomy 2, 25 says, 
This very day, I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you, and you will tremble and be in anguish because of you. God is a lot bigger than we think. And we can make God minute as we look at the cross, but he holds all power in his hands. And that's why we're going to sing all glory to him as a result of that cross being given to us. But as we are on earth, all of our fear needs to be redirected. The fear of terror, the fear of justice, the fear of all things being done directed specifically towards him. Yet the fear of respect, which would be another one. When you stand up in front of a general, we'll just put it that way, you say, this guy has gone through it all. I cannot believe his strength. I cannot believe his power. And even when I stand in president, it's almost like his power just has magnified my way in a sense of tell me what to do and I'll follow you. Complete, entire respect. Because people respect generals in the army, people will charge into battle without fear due to the respect that they have for the generals that are on the ground, saying, let's get the job done. The things that they should fear completely, war, things they should fear completely, getting shot, the things that they should fear completely is turn around at the generals, is turn around at the country that they're fighting for, and the history even that goes behind them, and then they'll charge into battle into the most horrendous amount of things that they should be fearful of, but because of their respect, they're going, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right, and it is worth it. It's the way God is. When we stand in front of God, there's a fear of, of complete respect. God, you have literally gone through it all at the cross. You have met and paid for every single one of my sins. There's a massive fear and respect in the New Testament. And that same respect that takes place in the New Testament is the same respect that we should have in the Old Testament when Isaiah stood before God in the temple. And when he did, he says, woe is me, I am ruined. I'm a man who's unclean and I live before people who have unclean lips and my eyes have literally seen the king and his response was, here am I, send me. The reason why the Old Testament is given to us under respect to fearing God is so we can literally look at the New Testament and the cross and the salvation that takes place there and still have the same respect. The Bible calls it fear. Then let us see the fear of awe. Story in the New Testament, storm on the Sea of Galilee. Storm is horrific, so much that the disciples were afraid out of their mind. And uh, they were so afraid and so afraid of dying. And, and I would be afraid of dying too as you look at the sea. And they were a little frustrated as they were afraid. And the reason why they're frustrated as they're afraid is because Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. Now, if Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat and the disciples are afraid out of their mind, God, Jesus knows something that they don't know. I mean, he's just hanging on to something that, that they're not hanging on to. I mean, he's got something going on that in their mind, they just don't have something going on. But they wanted to get rid of this fear. So they went to Jesus, they confronted him. And they say, Jesus, how can you sleep in the back of this boat when this is taking place? We're going to die. And what does Jesus do? We know the story. <laughs> Calms the sea. Now, when he calmed the sea, what did he do? He saved everybody's life. He saved Peter's life. He saved his disciples' life. They're completely saved. And as soon as you're saved with one little of your name uh, of, of your word, just a statement of your word, be calm. What should happen in Peter and what should happen in all the disciples? Their fear should just be wiped out in regards to what was done. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Their fear was up here when the sea was wild and crazy and they thought they were going to die. And when Jesus calmed their fear, guess what happened? Their fear magnified. <laughs> Their fear went to a completely and entirely different level. Look at, jo- look at Mark 4.39. It says this. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were now beyond afraid, terrified. Now, afraid of then, terrified, and asked each other, 
Oh my, who is this? <laughs> oh my, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. It's what it means to fear the Lord. A fear of awe, a fear of respect, a fear of terror. So how does the solution work in regards to fear of the Lord? And when it talks about fear of the Lord, it gives mention to what the fear does to you. Number six, the fear of the Lord calms fear by giving you a whole picture, which would be an understanding of wisdom. What is wisdom? This is a definition of wisdom that Tim Keller uses. It's a pretty powerful definition. Wisdom is making the correct decision when the moral rules do not apply. Wisdom is making the right decision when the moral rules do not apply. So in other words, there's a lot of moral rules in the Bible. We have 10 of them in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. It's a moral rule. It's black and white. You don't have to pray about it. Should I take the Lord's name in vain or should I not take the Lord's name in vain? Do not murder. It's a moral rule. You don't have to pray about it. Should I murder? Should I, should I not murder? It's, I mean, it's the black and white moral rules. Do not lie. Well, it's a moral rule. Black and white, you did it, you did it not. But as you look at these moral rules, you can completely say, well, this is what I'm driven by. This is what I'm, I'm standing by, and it's black and white. But they only pertain to, i just make it a guess, 25% of your life. Well, maybe 30 40%. But they only pertain to a certain amount of your life. There's a lot of rules out there that the moral rules do not apply to. In other words, let's ask this question. Who should I date? <laughs> you can't go find a passage. This is who you should date. It can give you guidance, but then you have to make the decision under that guidance in that regard. But it does not say in the Bible, you should date Jody Didera back in, when I was looking for a wife. It does not say that. I have to use what? Wisdom. Make a decision. Who should I date? Should you break up? What career should you do? What college should you go to? It's like, well, the Bible does not open up and say, well, I have to go to this college. The, the Bible gives us all these moral rules that are statements, but then the Bible pushes this word wisdom that goes past all the moral rules and saying, make a decision and make it right. <laughs> if you did make the decision and you did make it right, then you're a wise person. And I can be very arrogant up here right now and say, I married the right person. <laughs> I, mean, I, did, I made the, and the right decision. It did not say marry this person. But what happened is wisdom took place, or maybe grace, or maybe mercy, or maybe all the above in regards to choosing my wife, but something happened back then when I said yes, and now I celebrate, you know, in regards to 25 years later. Should I move there? Should I move here? Should I move to Idaho? Should I stay in Oregon? I mean, that's a question a lot of people, are, a lot of people are making. Should I shut my mouth, or should I open my mouth? When should I shut my mouth? When should I open my mouth? All those decisions the Bible does not go right to and say, Black and white, do that. That's what wisdom is. Now, if you're going to make the right decision in the context of wisdom, what you need to have is the full picture. You need to have the full picture. Why do we say read the Bible every day? Read the Bible every day, every day, every day. Understand what the Bible says because you're going to get these logical statements, but the logical statements is doing nothing but giving you the entire picture so you can make the right decision in context. So if you're going to make the right decision in context, you're going to need to know the broad picture. Proverbs 9, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, what's interesting is that those who do not fear the Lord have not even started wisdom. Period. They have not even started wisdom because they look into the context of what? They look in the context of the world. But when you look at wisdom, it's in the context of eternity. So all my decisions even need to be made in the concept, in the context of the world right now and how the world functions and the fibers of how God created it, also in the context of eternity. And if you choose to not fear the Lord, you haven't even, you haven't even started wisdom, according to that passage. You haven't even started wisdom. Proverbs fifteen thirty three says, The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. So when we fear the Lord... It is a statement, there is a movement away from the fear that has taken place in the world and going to the fear of the Lord. And when you go into the fear of the Lord, what's going to take place is everything is going to go be in context of what you're dealing with. Everything is going to walk in the context of, of what you're dealing with. So let's just 
talk a little bit about the coronavirus, <laughs> just, just for the fun of it, just to bring up COVID, because COVID has is, um, is, um, is really hurt our country, annihilated our economy, and COVID has is, is, is hurt a lot of churches. Um, it's divided um, a lot of churches. It's broken up a lot of churches. So as you look at this COVID world, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to fear the Lord in regards to COVID world. I'm just going to give you my perspective of being a pastor. You know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I've got to make decisions. Um, Dee and I are like, okay, we've got to make decisions. What are the decisions going to be? Well, what does it look like to fear the Lord? I'll tell you what, it, it, you know, I'm just going to, I might hurt some feelings a little bit. I'm just going to put it out there. What it doesn't look like to fear the Lord is to not wear a mask. I mean, that, that's, it's not what it, it doesn't look like that. Because it's saying, oh, I, I'm not wearing a mask. Oh, everything is, everything is good. That doesn't look like fearing the Lord. What doesn't look like uh, to fear the Lord is to wear a mask. That doesn't, look, look, that doesn't look like fear of the Lord either. So what does the fear of the Lord look like? Backing up and saying, God, you are the general. <laughs> and if you're the general... I want to know what is important to you because what is important to you is going to be specifically important to me, you being the general. So the fear of the Lord then puts us in the category of what is important to the general that's sending us out to war, which I would say this is a horrific war that the church is facing right now. What is important to him? And the things that are important to God is what? Love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's right at the top of the list. Goes there every time. Love others as yourself. That's right at the top of the list all the time. And then unity is taking place. But so if you look at just the two, I'm just going to focus on the two. You got love God with all your heart, and then you have love people. And, and what's taking place in regards to observing that, if the fear of the Lord general, you know, tell us what to do, how can you hang on to both, even in the COVID world? Because if you love God with all your heart, or if you love people with all your heart, and you say, well, if I love people with all my heart, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the decision off regards to loving people with all my heart. Then the, the love of the God is actually going to go down. And if you love God with all your heart, you could be accused of not loving people with all the heart because you could be accused of not protecting people in that regard. So you have both of those that are coming, coming into play. So when you pull back and you start looking at the whole picture, and you say, okay, I love God, love people, I fear the Lord. I want to do what my admiral says. My admiral says he wants unity. He wants peace. He wants his name proclaimed. He wants church, the gathering of the body of people to gather together. He wants all of this. How do you do it? I tell you, it was a tough, tough calls of what to do. But it's consistently thinking. He's my general, and what is important to him must be important to me. And what is that important to him? Some of the things that that I knew was important to him is the preaching of the word, which is the gospel. It comes into a whole bunch of different facets in regards to do you keep the church going or do you not keep the church going? If I am a police officer at the door, <laughs> I can't preach the word. <laughs> and the reason why I cannot preach the word is because now I have two different jobs saying this is what's taking place and then coming up here. So I'm like, well, shut the whole thing down if we're not going to be able to preach the word and, and preach it from you know, the internet rather than than being a police officer there. So in regards to fearing the Lord, you've got to find out what's important to God. And when you find out what's important to God, you make those decisions and you walk very, very, very slowly. And I would say as a result, the people and the maturity of people in this group have done an exceptional job in regards to say, what is important to God? What is important to what is taking place? Did we make all the right decisions? Um, you know, I would say that you know, not all the time. We didn't make all the right decisions. Did we, did we fail in that regards? Um, I would say that we feared the Lord. <laughs> and I would say that we've been guided by him. And I'd say that I'm glad we made choices that we, that we did make. Um, but there's also some sad stories too. And one particular sad story is that I had somebody call me up and, and, um, and uh, say, my parents go to your church and I cannot control them. And they don't have a mask on. And you have a church that does not have a mask on. Therefore, you are going to murder my parents. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not a murderer. I, everything I didn't want to be, I did not, I did not, take, did not take that pieces, the pieces of it. 
But it was a conversation of everything I don't want to be, all of a sudden I am in somebody's eyes, and I have to go to that with prayer and say, God, I have to fear the Lord as you continue to walk through it. You're the general, and it seems like when you look at him as a general, there is little statements of peace that come on through. And one thing of peace that I had is every nerve, everything that you can say to a pastor <laughs> that we are not, was said um, to me. And it was sad that it was said to me, but God said, I, that's, that's, that's not me. But then I started thinking too, well, why did she say it? Well, she can't control her parents, and, and she's using the same thing to control me. I just said, I'm sorry. I love you, and, and I love your parents. And your parents, I want them to wear a mask, but if they don't, that's okay, because we don't control people, because we want this gospel to be proclaimed. But to make decisions in regard to fear, we can't be afraid of anything that goes out there. We have to literally go back, what's the general say? What's the general speak of? And we have to do it calm. We have to do it soft. We have to not react. We have to play in the middle, and in the middle is where nobody wants to be. But you have to play in the middle in the, pers- in the purpose of taking care of absolutely um, everybody. And I know there's people in our church that feel like they haven't been taken care of in regards to, you know, masks and everybody else wearing masks and those things. And my heart breaks, my heart breaks for that. But the dynamics of not fearing anything else, but fearing the Lord, that's where you're going to find wisdom to make decisions. And I'm not saying I have wisdom or even D has wisdom in this process but um, that's what it takes when the world carries so much fear. Number seven, the fear of the Lord calms fear by giving you understanding, which is knowledge. You know, raising kids, you know, you give them driver's license, you know, when they, when they get older and and, um, and they take more responsibility. And as they take more responsibility, it's like, ah, you, you want to grip a little bit more, but you're not supposed to grip a little bit more. But the reason why you want to grip is because you want to say, don't make the mistakes I did. <laughs> In other words, I lived, you know, during your years, during your age, and I made mistakes. I know what is out there because I'm now 47 years old, and I've experienced what is out there, and I have all these mistakes that's behind me, and I don't want you to experience. I want them to have my knowledge and experience because of, you know, me surviving life. That is my pull. That's my drive. That's my desire. God is saying the same thing. I want you to have my knowledge. I want you to have my understanding. And when you walk into the fear of the Lord and you're consumed by him, you're going to get it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge is going to come your way. It's going to be granted to you. It's going to be given to you if you fear the Lord. Letter eight, the fear of the Lord calms fear by giving you security. How does it give you security? Gives you life. People want to be full of life. That's what we live for, full of life, happy, joy, strength. Well, you have to have life if you're going to be full of life. If you don't have life, then there's no way you can be full of life because one day you're going to be on your deathbed. And if you don't have life in Christ on your deathbed, then you don't have anything. So the only way and the only people that can be full of life is those who fear the Lord. Do you see the theme that's taking place there? We can't have wisdom, we can't have knowledge, and we can't have life, security, unless we direct our fears from everywhere else and start fearing the Lord. Proverbs 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouchable, untouched by trouble. Psalms 34, 9, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. If you have life, you have everything. Number nine, the fear of the Lord calms fear by putting you on the winning side, length to your life. One fear that is out there that is in our modern problems, and I would just say it is uh, political agendas that are out there. Um, it, does, it does create fear. Uh, there seems like there's going to be a, a, a shift in the direction that our country is going as there, as there is um, um, so much that's being said. And I, it brings fear to me. In fact, I, you know, fear in a sense of I look at my news. I get consumed all, all of a sudden by it. All of a sudden, I also get ruled by it because I'm looking at the news and then those kind of things. It does, you know, it does take you as, and it's a healthy fear. You say, well, this is a very, very healthy fear 
But what God is saying, well, you know, I don't want you to even fear it as much as you want as you fear me. And the reason why is because when all is said and done, the believers will be the last people standing. The believers will be the last. Everybody has a, an agenda, but everybody's agenda does not exist in the end. Christ comes as the ruler, and that is the agenda that is going to exist in the end. I prolonged your life, meaning all the stuff that we're faced with right now is going to be gone. And you wonder where it's going to peak. You wonder how wild and crazy it is going to get. Well, how wild and crazy it's going to get, it's going to be gone one day. And there is fear that takes place. But God's saying, redirect the fear. Those who appear to have power don't have power. Those who say they have power, control don't carry the power and control. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to your life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short, done away with. Number 10, just kind of in closing, balance your fear by investing your emotional stock in the past and the future rather than the present. In June, I was preaching a sermon in regards to fear walking through, you know, uh, what was taking place um, in the world. And every single one of us built, I'm not saying every single one of us, but people built portfolios in regards to, to money. I'll put stock here, I'll put stock here, I'll put stock here. And you want a well-rounded portfolio so when you retire, it works well and you didn't just lose everything by putting a, your stock in one area. If you want your emotional stock to be healthy or if you want your fear to be, um, to be absolute, the way that what you need to do is you need to put your emotional stock in three different directions. Here's the first direction. You need to put 45% of your emotional stock in the past. What do I mean in the past? 2,000 years ago, a cross was given to us. A gospel was given to us, and we're saved because of it. You know, that is something that we should feed off of. It's not something you just receive and live. It's something you should feed off of. It's something you should know. It's something you should share. It's something you should be obsessed with. It is the basis of fearing the Lord, moving underneath that cross in the, in the, the process of, of being a general, in the process of being a judge, in the process of being um, a king. That is the heartbeat. Put 45% of your emotional stock there. Next thing to do, put 45% of your emotional stock in the future. What's going to take place in the future? The one that died on the cross is going to come again. <laughs> the one that's died on the cross is, is going to come again. Now you can say, you want me to put 45% 2,000 years ago, and then you want me to put 45% to the coming of the Lord. You haven't even talked about my life yet. Yeah, we will talk about your life. Put 10% of your stock in your present. Put 10% of your stock in your present. You should be ruled, consumed, and driven by 45% of the item that took place 2,000 years ago, another 45% of the item that will come when Christ returns, and 10% of the present. That's a formula of a well-invested, emotional person in regards to the fear of the Lord. I said I'd give you guys a chance to ask questions, so we do want to give you guys a chance um, to ask questions in that regard. And uh, as we ask questions, I want the questions to all come up this direction. If somebody does make a statement and you dis, um, uh, we want, um, if somebody makes a statement and that you disagree with a statement, you don't get to go across the room and say, well, I disagree with that statement. If I make a statement and you disagree with my statement, what you can do is you can come to me and say, I disagree with that statement. That's, that's fine. But you can't disagree with anybody else across the room, just in a sense that as we're talking about um, on, on questions and those things. So any questions? Oh, D had braver people than I did. Maybe it was the topping. <laughs> talk about fear. I don't want to talk about fear. Fear kills logic. That is correct. It kills logic because you do not make logical decisions when you're afraid. Logic goes out the window. A lot of things go out the window with fear. That's why it's an issue. You know, logic, wisdom, uh, understanding, God, everything goes out the window. Yeah. 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 
It is. It's, it's, it's a hard situation. We're living in a world that's not, that's not easy. And what are we supposed to do about it? Fear the Lord so we can get anchored into, into that. All the, way, all the way in the back. Can you hear me? Oh, hello. All right. So I read recently in the, the screw tape letters that the present is the time in which time touches eternity. Mm-hmm. And I find that formula that you mentioned very interesting because one of the major themes in the screw tape letters that I was reading is that it can be really dangerous to be consumed with the past and the future Mm -hmm. in relation to one's life so concerning the past and the future i like that it's relevant to christ and what he did and what he's going to do but i also think that it's it's worth noting that it's good to stay present and active in one in one's life and to not focus on the past and future of our of our own dwelling because Mm -hmm. that can consume us as well um and so I just wanted to ask about that distinction. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great question and a great comment. I can definitely see um, in regards to your question how it's come across. Uh, when I'm looking at this, um, the reason why I wrote this note is I put under emotional stock. And uh, I am supposed to be emotionally driven by something. So the, what am I supposed to be emotionally driven with in the present? Because I, wanna, I completely agree with you that this life is so rich. It is extremely rich, but I need to look at this life through the lens of something. And what happens is if the life is right in front of you, I'm going to look at life through the lens of it often. And the fear of the Lord is not looking at the, uh, this is the reason why I wrote it, the fear of the Lord is not looking at life through the lens of what is in front of you, but the lens of what took place 2,000 years ago because I need my emotional stock to be healthy, because this isn't going to provide healthy. This world is not going to provide healthy to me at all. But what took place 2,000 years ago is going to allow me to be healthy as I live in this rich world, which I agree with you, it's completely rich. And if I look at 45 years in the future, that one day he's coming again, then I can evaluate every single situation that has taken place in our government, in our world, um, in our system, and I could actually just relax that, you know what, it's, it's going to be all right. And the reason why is because the world um, needs believers to be relaxed in it. Um, and the reason why that we need believers to be relaxed in it is because people who do not look at the past or the future are standing on the present. It is ruling them, controlling them, and consuming them and they're desperate for life, and the church provides it. And so when they walk in the doors, they see a Christian church, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, persecution has taken place. We're going to get martyred. We're going to get stoned. But we worship with joy. We worship with happiness. We worship with excitement. How could you worship with joy and happiness and excitement when the world looks like that? And that's what's taking place in China right now is that you know, they're not making decisions in regards to, um, in regards to the present. The present, um, it's not driving their emotion. What's driving their emotions are their, um, the, the cross of Christ and then also the future, and then all uh, the future of Christ coming, and they're saying, we are controlled and ruled emotionally by this, and the underground church is exploding because they carry more power than anybody else in China. And that's the power, that's the power of God. So that's a, a great question. And I'll give you a, I'll let you do a follow-up question if you'd like. But that's a great question in regards to this because the present is rich. Oh my, the present is rich. But we can't be controlled, my point is we can't be controlled, emotionally controlled by the present more so than the past and the future. So I think what I gleaned from that is that Within the present and these lenses that you speak of, we can be active or we can be passive. We can be distracted or we can be intentional. And to consider these two 45 percentiles and to actively put that into effect in our mindset 
that's still happening in the present. That's still mm. being present and having that um, distinction. Because one of the one of the main focuses in that book was um, to eliminate distraction and to take time to be quiet and separate yourself from the noise of the world in order to have that presence with God. So it's not like a, a time frame of your life. It's more a mentality and like you were saying, this emotional stability there. And so I think, I think our thinking is aligned there and um, I appreciate your answer and yeah. I think, I think we're completely on track um, um, and I think we agree with each, with each other. Um, the one thing that I think that I did not communicate, um, that what I mean, sometimes I mean it in my mind that I don't communicate, is you use the, the word passive and then you also use the word um, aggressive. Um, if in my mind, if you go back 2,000 years ago, you're gonna be the most aggressive person on earth. <laughs> if you go forward 40, um, you know, before Christ's return, you're gonna be the most aggressive person on earth. You're gonna be aggressive emotionally, you're gonna be aggressive working, you're gonna be aggressive moving, you're gonna be aggressive fighting, you're gonna be aggressive praying, you're gonna be aggressive. Those two make you absolutely, completely aggressive because that is an emotional stock that we need. And, and in my mind, that if those two are not there and you move into the world, I, I just, I'm just defeated. I mean, personally, I just like, I'm defeated. I mean, just in a sense of the government is doing this wrong and, and abortions are taking place and this is taking place and this is taking place, this is taking place. I just want to go cry, you know. But if I look back and then I look forward, then I'm like, we got to go after this thing. So um, passive um, is, is not something that I ever came to my mind in regards to looking back and looking forward. It is actually the sources where you get, uh, where you get aggressive. So... I think that both of us are on track, passive and aggressive. I'm not saying just sitting 45 years ago and do nothing. Nobody can sit underneath that cross and have the experience of it and not do nothing. And Paul is, um, is uh, one that shows us. Scott, do you have a question? Oh, I'm sorry. Do we, did you, are you completely done with the question? Okay. i just looking at Scott raise his hand. I'm looking at the time. Or somebody else. You know, Mike, uh, when you first said this, I was kind of stuck on the 45, 45, and 10, maybe like other people, because, of course, this is our life. But I think the more you've talked to them, I realize that as we're going through some challenges that we've been going through with moving and all this and adjusting to new surroundings, I've been getting too wrapped up in the 10% and losing focus on the 45 and the 45. And because I let myself get so emotionally wrapped up in the 10%, I don't control it well because I'm losing focus in the realm of things. It's no, not really that significant. And maybe I make it too simple, but I think now I understand why you're trying to tell us this. Because in the realm of the whole picture, what's going on right now, even though it's our current life, it's not as big as the past and the future like you're talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we want to be over... We want to overcome the world. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the challenge is that God gives us. You know, don't be of the world, but overcome the world. And there's only one way we can overcome the world, and that is, you know, this is it's just in my mind. And it is an aggressive statement. And, um, but I do want to say with the aggressive statement is that um, um, it's supposed to produce something in you. That's what it is. Again, the world is rich. The world, people need Christ. 45%, 45% is going to tell us the world needs Christ. The world needs security. 45%, 45% is going to show us the world's security. Was there one more person that had a question? Or are we good? All right, one question, Kevin. We'll make this the last question that takes place. Here comes a microphone. I want you to be able to hear on the microphone mostly because of the... Hey, Mike, what would you say to a pastor who believes... It's his responsibility to keep people safe from the virus. Mm -hmm. That's a, a great, great question. Um, I would say that we live um, in a country, and as we live um, in a country, and it comes to responsibility, 
that we make our own decisions on what we're responsible. Because as soon as it, I say it's my responsibility, and if it is my responsibility, then I need to control you. I need to rule you. I need to make sure that you're under the thumb. Because if you're not under the thumb, then you're going to die, and then it's, then it's my fault. And so, personally, I will not take the responsibility um, of your life. And I would say that I would not take responsibility of anybody's life and I am concerned that people are going to die. There was a fear that came to me, I mean, last year, uh, what if we lose somebody? I mean, I'll just tell you that it was there. And so then I think, well, I'm not going to control somebody because it's not my responsibility. It's their responsibility. So I will make, we'll set people up where they can be responsible to make their own decisions. So we did. It's very safe in your home. We wanted to live stream it to everybody find safe in home. The risk is there, but it's extremely minimal. We have an old chapel that we can put masks on. The risk is there, and it's higher than the home. And then all of a sudden we say, well, you don't have to wear a mask in here. We're not, you know, you just do whatever you want. We're just going to act like it's worship in here. And then all of a sudden you walk in the doors. My statement is, the risk is there. And before you walk in the doors, and while you walk in the doors, I'm not killing you. You're killing yourself if you want me to say, if you want, to, if you want me to say, I'm pulling it off me because you guys see it. And I'm not in charge of it and, uh, in, in that regards. So um, I would take no responsibility in regards, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm being honest with you, no responsibility is if, if something happened because I'm begging you and pleading you to stay at home. I'm begging you and pleading you to go to the chapel. I'm begging you and pleading you to go here, and then you guys make those decisions. And, um, and I will take full responsibility if the gospel is not given to you. And I won't stop because I know that's my responsibility. And when the church gets shut down, I don't get to give it to you in a way of face-to-face, heart-to-heart, connection-to-connection. I give it to people on the web, you know, the Internet and those things. But, but I want it really aggressive because I'm responsible for that, because I'm taking your time. And so, yes, I'm, I'm consumed with that pieces of it. But if you die, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh. All right. Thank you guys for coming. We'll see you guys next week.